Okay, our lesson today is actually a replacement. This is a replacement for um, April 28th, where there were some technical difficulties and we do apologize for that. So this lesson is, um, it's a repeat of the lesson that was, was a problem for a lot of people for April 28th. So here we go. Welcome to our Bible study for Glendale Baptist Church. Uh, this is going to be a little bit different in terms of the lesson that we'll cover uh, today. This is actually a replacement, and we apologize for any of the uh, any of you, well, all who experienced technical difficulties for the lesson that was supposed to air on April 21st. Uh, there were some difficulties in the recording of it, so it's not available. So, therefore, what we're going to cover today is the lesson that we covered on April 21st, which is Revelation chapter 20, verses four through six. So let me read those verses and then we will begin to unpack it. Then I saw thrones and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. Now, you'll notice that verse four opens with the phrase, then I saw, indicating that this is another vision that John sees. So this is sort of a distinction, sort of a, a dividing line between the first vision in verses one through three and this represents a second vision, and then we will get a third one beginning in verse uh, 7. So the first thing that John sees, uh, or the, um, the first thing to, to point out, is that what John sees in this vision are thrones that are occupied by those who have been given authority to judge. And it could also be identified uh, because he goes on to say that he sees the soul's of, of those who have not who have refused to worship the beast and have not been marked by the beast. Now, what we'll see is that I don't think this is two different groups, but this is just descriptions, different descriptions of the same group. So what John sees are those who are occupying thrones and who have been given authority to judge. Now, this scene itself has two very important parallels. Uh, most immediately and from the writings of John himself or from the book of Revelation itself, you have chapter 4, verse 2. And this is when John leaves the vision that he sees of the churches and their present state in verses 2 and in chapters 2 and 3. So he, he moves from the message that Christ delivers to the local churches in their, in their immediate context and then in chapter 4, he is taken into the throne room of God. And so in chapter 4, verse 2, 
it's very similar to what uh, the, the scene that's set forth here. Uh, beginning in verse 2, it says, At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And then in verses 3 and 4, and he who sat on the uh, who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of emerald. And around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and seated on the thrones were twenty-four elders clothed in white with golden crowns on their heads. And when we went over that chapter, we indicated that the images that are seen there are symbolic of both angelic beings, created beings, spirit beings, as well as representatives of humanity in general and the church. So the church is presented there. But the other parallel is in Daniel. In Daniel chapter 7, we'll look at verses 9 through 10, and then also verses 21 and 22. And this is Daniel's vision of, of seeing the Ancient of Days seated on his throne. In verses 9 and 10, it says, As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat, and his clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand, uh, a thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. Uh, the court sat in judgment, and the books were open. Then we move over to verses 21 and 22 in the same chapter, and uh, Daniel sees this, uh, beginning in verse 21. As I looked, uh, this throne made war, uh, made war with the saints and prevailed over them until the ancient of days came and was given uh, and was given for the saints the most high the time uh, and the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. John sees the souls of martyred saints seated in heavenly places ruling. They are seated in heavenly places ruling. Now, this is in contrast to what he sees concerning the saints earlier in chapter 6, verse 9, where John sees the blood of the martyrs, and it's poured out uh, under the throne. These martyred saints are said to have come to life, and they have reigned. Uh, so now we see, you know, the, the saints, the martyred saints in chapter 6 crying out, you know, how long, O Lord? But now what John sees is the martyred saints come to life, reigning with Christ for a thousand years. And this is called the first resurrection. Now, let me pause here and say that um, in chapter or in verses four through six here, uh, what we see is this separate vision that shows the same thousand year period that's alluded to in verses one through three, but now it's shown from a different vantage point. The thousand years that we see in verses one through three is really seen from the vantage point of the earth, what takes place in the earth during that period. 
what we see here is clearly intended to take us to heaven. So the, the vantage point or the perspective of the same period of time, this is not a different period of time. Uh, this is the same period of time, the same thousand years. But instead of showing the activity of, uh, from the vantage point of the earth, John sees it from the vantage point of heaven. Now we'll come back to that in a moment, but here's the, the question that's raised. Uh, you have the phrase that those who are seated reigning with Christ during this thousand year period constitute the first resurrection. And since this phrase is often connected, uh, or since it is connected to the thousand years, uh, it's important as to how we interpret it. What is meant by the first resurrection? Uh, now, some interpret the first resurrection as regeneration. And there is good reason for doing so, just in a, in a general way. And that's largely because uh, we know that regeneration, being born again, is really a part of the consummation. So we are constituted as a new creation. And so if we want to say, especially when we look at, at things that we read in the scriptures, John expression, for instance, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 14, where he speaks of those who are regenerate, and here's the way he describes them. He says that we know that we have passed out of death into life. And um, so it's not uncommon in the New Testament to speak of our regeneration in terms of resurrection. Uh, other New Testament passages like Romans chapter 6, verse 4. In fact, let me uh, turn to that real quick. Romans 6, verse 4, and Paul says this, We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Uh, also in Colossians chapter 3, one that we allude to quite often because I think it's such a succinct description of our sanctification and our, our ongoing sanctification and the mindset that we are to possess. But in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, Paul says, If then you have been raised with Christ, then seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above and not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God, whom Christ, who is your life, uh, who is your life appears, or when Christ, who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So again, when you look at those passage, uh, passages, they seem to speak of our regeneration and our union with Christ in resurrection terms. And so for some to interpret John's meaning here, uh, when he speaks of, the, of this, this resurrection, the first resurrection, uh, to see it in terms of regeneration, it seems to make sense because it does... Uh, coincide, or it, it certainly uh, corresponds to other portions of the New Testament. But in this context, in this context, it's very, it's more specific. The first resurrection here actually has a much more specific point of reference. Those whose faithful testimony of the gospel and those who have refused to worship 
the beast or receive his mark therefore um, and, and have suffered the consequences thereof. Therefore, in this context, the first resurrection as spoken of here is those who die in the Lord during the thousand year period. So if the thousand year period is from the time of Christ's ascension until the time of his return, then what what is portrayed here, because remember, we mentioned that at the end of the thousand years, Satan would be released to deceive the nations. He still will not be able to separate us from Christ, but because of his deception, there will be a greater degree of, of persecution in various ways against the church, which means Christians will still lose their lives. There will be the loss of life. There will be martyrdom for the cause of the faith. And so if that's the case, what John is showing us here, and we're going to make it as brief as possible, but what John is showing us here is that those who lose their life for the cause of the gospel do not lose. We saw this with the individual letters that he wrote and he told them, you know, that told them that be faithful, uh, the, the church that was being persecuted. And he tells them, he gives them this word of comfort. And then he goes on to say, and many of you in the next few days, you know, and soon you will die. But their death is not lost. Now, there's um, an interesting passage that, uh, that we can cross-reference here from Revelation chapter 14. And we'll look at chapter 14, verse 13. And here it says, And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds, in, uh, for their deeds follow them. Now, in a broad and general sense, that's true of every believer. Every believer who dies before the Lord's return, their death, it's, it's blessed for them. Um, we read in the Psalms that precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of one of his saints. Uh, Paul tells the Philippians that uh, for him to live is Christ, but to die is gain. So to die in the Lord especially before the Lord's return, it's a certain blessedness. And one reason you're blessed is because we are no longer struggling with our own flesh. We are now freed. We already know that in this life, by virtue of our faith, that there is no condemnation from the law. And now we are free from the struggles of our own fallen nature, because remember, we are accounted as righteous and we strive towards righteousness, but in our striving towards righteousness, we struggle with our fallen nature. So those who die in the Lord are no longer struggling with the flesh. They're also no, they are no longer persecuted because of their faith. And so those who die in the Lord before the return of the Lord, they are blessed. And part of the reason, and I think we've mentioned this before, that Dennis Johnson 
early in his commentary uh, on the book of Revelation makes the point that in essence, the book of Revelation is written as we see in chapter one to give comfort to the saints, but it's also to give an answer to the question that's raised by the martyred saints. How long, O Lord? And so the reason for the, uh, one reason for the book of Revelation is to show those who have died because of their faith that their death is not in vain. And so before John shows us the final or before he is seen or shown the final conflict and the final judgment, he gets this sweet glimpse into heaven where he sees those who have died during this thousand year period. And not only are they not suffering, but they are portrayed as reigning with Christ. And even though by virtue of our faith, uh, Ephesians and other places in the New Testament says that we are presently seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. Those who die during this period of, of uh, this thousand year period, they experience that, that sharing in the present reign of Christ from a different vantage point. So the point of this second vision seems to me to, to, to bring home the point that the thousand year reign as um, this from one standpoint in verses one through three shows that God is or Christ is faithful to the church during this period. But in the second vision in verses four through six, it's, it's intended to show that the thousand year reign of Christ is given as an, an assurance and a source of encouragement for the people of God to remind them that the saints, even after Satan has attacked them, even as he has taken their lives, and you notice the emphasis that some have been beheaded, uh, and it's specifically because of their faith. They are no longer, uh, they are no longer suffering. And even though, uh, even after Satan is no longer restrained, his deception of the nations may indeed lead to greater persecution against the church. This vision is to show that those who have already died during the first um, or, or during this thousand year reign, and when Satan is released, there will be greater persecution. So this is a way of showing them, here's what's happened to those who have died uh, for the cause of the gospel while Satan was restrained. And it is no different for you. So therefore, even though his deception of the nations will lead to greater persecution, they are secure in Christ. And just as those who have gone before them have been delivered uh, and vindicated, they also will be vindicated and they will be delivered. And so John, before he goes into this period of Satan being released and the greater persecution that will be experienced because of the continuing deception, this is a reminder that those who belong to the Lord are safe. And so he shows us in verses one through three, I'll just kind of repeat that because again, we're seeing uh, twin visions showing the same period of time from different vantage points. In verses one through three, then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand 
the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he sees the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. And after that, he will be released for a little while. But while he is restrained, two things to remember. Christ presently rules and reigns, and those who die in him, no matter the cause of their death, are secure in him. John sees this before the release of Satan to encourage those who will experience all of the intensified persecution against the church when he is released. What those martyrs are, are experiencing and enjoying now is the fate of all of those who rest in Christ. With that, um, hopefully that brings some continuity and prepares us for the next vision, which is the defeat of Satan and the final conflict. Let's close in a word of prayer. Our God and our Father, we do come to you in the blessed name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you again for your word that gives us comfort in difficult times, that gives us hope in spite of our own present circumstances. But most of all, your word of grace reminds us of the fullness of your salvation that you have given us in Jesus Christ. We don't always have a ready answer for every detail of what takes place in the world in which we live. There are things that are going on around us that are beyond our comprehension. But here's what we know. We know that Christ rules, that he reigns. We know that he has defeated the powers of darkness. And therefore, everything that we experience in this world is according to your purpose and under your sovereign power. Strengthen your people to be faithful in the times in which we live and in the things that in which you have assigned to us. Give us a word of comfort to remind us that in spite of what we see, we are yours. We have been bought with the price and you who have begun a good work in us will be faithful to complete it. We do thank you again for those things that you have set forth in your written word for our edification and for our comfort and for our strength. May we feed upon it for your glory. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. All righty.